a seat. My name is Byron. I get the honor to serve as the lead pastor. If you're a guest, I want to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here. And I am excited to say Merry Christmas. Turn to your neighbor and say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Now turn to your other neighbor and say it's too early for that. I love Christmas. And we're in a Christmas-themed series here at Redemption called Vintage Christmas, helping us go back to the beginning and celebrate Christmas the way that God always intended, because Jesus is the reason for the season. Come on, somebody, right? Amen? Amen. Christmas is the, the most wonderful time of the year. And one of the things that makes Christmas so amazing is the, is the Christmas music. Anybody love Christmas music? There we go. If you don't, you're more like a Scrooge, bah humbug, the rest of us, hallelujah. So you need to put a little hallelujah in your bah humbug this year. But I love Christmas music. We've been listening to it and it just gets you in the Christmas spirit, doesn't it? But I wanted to see if you can help me solve a, a debate that me and Ashley, my wife, we've been having for the last 15 years. Maybe today we can save our marriage um, with your help. So if, if you're like, if you're like Ashley and you think that it's okay to listen to Christmas music any time of the year, do me a favor, raise your hand. Anytime, anytime. You're like, it's July and I'll be singing, right? Look around the room now. If you're like me and you think the turkey must have its day and you can only listen after Thanksgiving, raise your hand. Ashley, you're wrong. There we go. I'm right. You're wrong. That's never happened before. Um, <laughs> Now, Ashley's at home. Uh, she's watching online. Our daughter, Ruth, has pneumonia. And so uh, she was in the hospital this week, but she's at home with mom. They're watching online. Can we all say Merry Christmas to Ashley too? Merry Christmas, Ashley. We love you. Uh, and I was right. Okay. Um, but there's something about Christmas music that just gets you in the Christmas spirit. What's your favorite the Christmas song. Ashley's, she's going to um, laugh when I say this, is The Happiest Christmas Tree. Do you know that song? I'm the happiest Christmas tree. Ho, ho, ho. It's Nat King Cole. That's her favorite one. So we play it all the time. Uh, my, my daughter's is the 12 Days of Christmas. And they love to sing it. There's a house here in Beaumont off of Thomas Road that actually has the 12 days of Christmas outside. They have to drive by it every single night to see the lights. And they, they sing the 12 days. But what's so funny is my daughter, Ruth, um, she's four and she, she doesn't know the lyrics. Um, and she still sings it. I even don't know the lyrics and I still sing it. But the only one she knows is um, five golden rings and, uh, and a partridge in a pear tree. So the other day we were driving down the road and there was no music on. She was just singing in the back seat because she's our, our singer and, uh, and she loves to sing. And here's what she was singing. She was going, five golden trees, like over and over for like a minute. And I was like, do you want me to help you? She's like, no, daddy, I know it. Five golden trees, right? <laughs> and she, Christmas is in full effect at the Ellis house. Uh, we love Christmas, and one of the things we love about Christmas is the Christmas music because it, it gets you in the holiday spirits. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the first Christmas song ever recorded. Do you know what the first Christmas song ever recorded was? And it, it wasn't Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It wasn't Joy to the World. It wasn't, you know, Granny Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. The, the very first Christmas song ever recorded 
is actually recorded in the Bible. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46, it's known as Mary's Magnificant. In some of your Bibles, the headline will say Mary's Song. It's a song that Mary sings to God after she receives the news that she was going to be the mother of the boy who would grow up and become Christ. The angel shows up and says, Mary, you found favor in God's sight, and unto you a Savior is going to be born. His name will be Jesus, and he'll be the Savior of the world. And then Mary, she responds by singing a song. And so we're going to look at that today. If you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And here's the sermon title for today, Overcoming Anxiety This Christmas. Because even with all the Christmas music and the cocoa and the carols and all those sugar cookies that you get from Rayo's, Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, but for, for many, it's also a very worrisome time of the year. For some people, they're dreaming of a white Christmas, but others are experiencing a, a blue Christmas. Because the most wonderful time also can be a very difficult time. Because we have this hallmark imagination of what Christmas is supposed to be. And then we look at our lives and we realize it's just not measuring up. And it could be a very difficult time for a variety of, of reasons. Probably out of the hundreds of people who call Redemption home, there's probably about a hundred different reasons as to why for some Christmas is not the most wonderful, but one of the most worrisome times of the year. We have four people in our church right now who are battling cancer. For them, this Christmas looks different. For some, it's the grief of, of losing a loved one. Maybe this will be the, the first Christmas without your parents or grandparents, and God forbid, a child. We have several families in our church this year who have lost a child. This Christmas is gonna look different for them. Or maybe it's because this year you went through a divorce. And so now you're trying to figure out how do we co-parent during the holidays? Who's going to get our kids on Christmas morning? That's difficult because you never imagined you would be in that situation. Maybe it's financially. You're trying to decide how do I get my kids gifts and pay rent at the same time? And what is supposed to be a blessing becomes a stress. What's supposed to be the most wonderful time becomes a very worrisome, troubled time. So what do we do when we are filled with anxiety for Christmas? What do we do when we're filled with worry? I, I wanna help you do what Mary does. I wanna help you trade worry for worship this year. I don't want us to, to focus on what could go wrong. I want us to worship the God who is always good. I don't want us to focus on the things that we can't control, but I want us to worship the God that is always in control because in our lives, there's some things that we just can't change. But here's the good news is we serve a God, we love a God, we worship a God who never changes. He always is, always was, and always will be. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the God that we serve. And so when you are filled with worry, we do what Mary does. We trade our worries for worship. Instead, here's my prayer for you this year. Whatever you're going through, whatever situation, whatever circumstance you're in, say this, instead of worrying, I will worship 
That's my prayer for all of us today. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read it all up front and I'm gonna give you some ways in which you can focus and remember who God is in the midst of your anxiety. Here's what we see in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies my problems. What does she say? My soul magnifies who? The Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked upon my humble estate of, my, of, a serv- of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted the humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty-handed. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Now, before we get into the message, I have to set up a little bit of the context. How we say it here at Redemption is in order to understand the text, you have to understand the context. And so last week, we kicked off the Vintage Christmas series as Trevor preached a sermon called, Why Do Christians Celebrate Christmas? It was amazing. Can we give it up for Trevor. Come on. Man, I love seeing God raise up leaders in the church. And he talked about how Christians are to celebrate Christmas because it's different than the way the the world celebrates Christmas. I mean, let's be honest. Christmas has become very secularized, is it not? I mean, it's very commercialized. It's very materialistic. Black Friday sells and Hallmark Channel and you got Elf on the Shelf and you got Snoop on a Stoop, right? You got all these different things because it's become very commercialized. I know y'all laughed because y'all from the south side of the kingdom. I know where you're from. (laughs) It's very commercialized. But even in the midst of that, it, it brings about a burden on us. Oh man, we got to spend this money and we got to have these people over and, you know, I got to go see my in-laws and then you get a fight and then the in-laws become the outlaws and then all of a sudden somebody drank too much eggnog and now the Christmas tree's down and Chris, uh, right? It's all, it's very, as Christians, we, we push past all of that that we don't focus on all of those things. We push past the hurry and the worry and the hustle and the bustle, and we push past all of that. And we wanna to get to the real reason, which is unto us a savior is born. Emmanuel, God with us. As Christians, we celebrate Christmas differently. And last week he introduced us to, to Mary and what, What we know about Mary is she's a poor, rural, unwed teenage girl betrothed to to marry another man. And as she's living her life in the middle of Nazareth nowhere in a region called Galilee, all of a sudden an angel shows up and says, Mary, you have found favor in the sight of God. And you are going to give birth to the Christ to the Messiah, to the long promised Holy One who has come to rescue his people and deliver them from sin, the savior of the world. And Mary, she says, how can this be? Which is a great question, because remember, she's a virgin. And she's like, how can this be? I've never even been with Joseph. And the angel responds by saying, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive, because that makes sense, doesn't it? (laughs) 
in that moment, if you were, just put yourself in Mary's shoes. Would you be a little anxious? Like that's a big responsibility, right? To not only give birth to, but take care of and to raise God. Now I'm a parent, I got two amazing girls and I, I feel like I fail my kids every single day. I, I remember like, there's times just the other night, they were like, okay, daddy, let's go. Let's play hide and seek. And it was after bath time. And so I was like, all right, you go hide. And then I did not seek them. <laughs> I already have money set aside for heart for the house and a little bit set aside for therapy when they become a teenager, all right? <laughs> but imagine if you're married, I gotta raise God, take care of God. I remember one time, I'm not gonna tell you which parent it was, dropped Esther. She bounced, she's okay, we think. <laughs> But could you imagine Mary being like, I, this, is, this baby is the Lord. And I'm responsible to take, what if it goes wrong? What if I mess up? What if, what if I drop him? Is this going to affect God's plan for humanity? Could you imagine? Let's just be honest. Like, there's got to be some anxiety in, in Mary's heart right now. Now let's, let's put it back to you and me. Let's, 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 let's bring this down to our everyday life. Let's say you're in high school, you're in redemption youth and you're studying for your SAT. It's a big test and you need to make a good grade to, to be able to get into a good college. And if you don't make a good grade, then you're not gonna get into a good college. And if you don't get into a good college, you're not gonna get a good job. If you don't get a good job, you're not gonna pay off your student loans. And if you can't pay off your student loans, then you're probably not gonna be able to provide the wedding that your wife wants. And then you're not gonna marry her. You're gonna marry somebody else because you didn't marry the right person. All of a sudden now you're gonna have the wrong kids and the wrong kids, they're gonna need braces, but you can't afford to give them braces because you're still trying to pay off the college, but you didn't get a good job. And so now now your kids have low self-esteem and so they turn to a life of drugs and crime and then they get arrested and then it's Christmas and you're visiting them in prison and then all of a sudden you got a headache and you're sitting there and you Google headache and you find out you have brain cancer. <laughs> Is that not how anxiety works? I know we're laughing a little bit and I am exaggerating, but here's what anxiety does. It, it, it creates a future that's hypothetical, but then it brings about a physical response in that current moment. And, and so what happens is, is we, we live with this tension of what if and hypotheticals and this worry about everything. And, and then we think, oh, Christmas is here. It's all just magically going to go away. That would be amazing, right? But it doesn't. They actually surveyed that in 2019. 9% of the American population struggled with day-to-day -day anxiety. And then this thing called COVID happened. Anybody remember that? I tried to forget it. But 2020 with COVID and all the racial tensions and the election and everything else that could go wrong went wrong. They surveyed after COVID and almost 30% of Americans express that they experience anxiety on a daily basis. So 25% increase percentage-wise because people are feeling very anxious. Turn on the news, just watch. The world is weary, troublesome, worried. You think Christmas would make it better, but that's just not the case. Here's what mental health experts say about the holiday season. 54% of people are worried about the mental health of a loved one. 
during the holidays. 38% say they have increased stress during the holidays. 24% report mental health is worse during the holidays. 40% report that it is somewhat worse. Three out of five Americans say that their emotional well-being is negatively impacted by the holidays. And in the U.S., alcohol consumption doubles between Thanksgiving and New Year's. So one beer turns to two beers, turns to four beers, one tequila, two tequila, three tequila, floor. (laughs) Because people are trying to self-medicate because they don't know how to deal with the anxiety, the stress, and the worry that comes upon them during Christmas. And I have to ask myself, why is it that the most wonderful time of the year, the, the part of the year where we celebrate that, that God became a man and was born into a virgin and lived without sin and dies and goes to the cross in our place, resurrects as the savior of the world who forgives us of our sins and gives us eternal life, that unto us a savior is born. Why is it that the most wonderful time of the year becomes one of the most worrisome times of the year. And then I start thinking about it. It's because we focus on the wrong things. Because we, we focus on what we don't have rather than what God's already given us. Because we, we focus on what we need to get or to receive or to do rather than focus on what God has already, already done. That's why we're doing vintage Christmas. We just want to get back to the beginning and celebrate Christmas for the right reasons and the way that God always intended because Mary didn't have any of the things we think we need. She had Jesus, and that was enough for her. And even in the midst of her her worry, how does she respond? By worshiping. Look, Look what she says in verse 46. My soul will magnify the Lord. What is she doing? She's She's worshiping because what you magnify, you glorify. She's glorifying God. Even in the midst of her worry, she chooses to worship. My soul magnifies the Lord. And here's the reason why this is so important. I want you to write this down. Remember it because you always find what you focus on. When you magnify on something, what are you doing? You're focusing on it. You're choosing to look at this rather than everything else that's around. You, you zoom in, you pay attention to, you focus on. And when you focus on your problems, then you see problems. But when you focus on the Lord, then you begin to see the Lord because you always find what you focus on. How many of you have ever heard of something called the, the Bader-Meinhof syndrome? Anybody? If you're not a sociologist, then you probably don't know unless you've heard in a sermon before because <laughs> I've used this illustration. But here's what it is. It's a, it's a cognitive bias where you find whatever it is that you're looking for, it becomes more frequent in your life. And it's not because it's more frequent, but because rather now you're paying attention and, and you're looking for it. So let me give you an example of how the Bader-Meinhof syndrome works. If I were to ask you, how many red lights did you catch on the way to church today? You'd probably be like, I don't really remember. But let's say... You were running late this morning. You woke up late. You got in a fight with your wife. And then your kids, even though it's pajamas and pancakes day, they didn't want to eat breakfast and they didn't want to wear their, their pajamas. And so you had to find them something different to wear. And now you're trying to get to the 930 service, but you didn't leave the house until 940. And you think you can still make it on time. <laughs> and so you're driving down the road as fast as you can. And all of a sudden you catch a red light and then another red light. 
and another red light. And then I ask you, how many red lights did you catch? You say, I caught every single dang red light that there was. No, you didn't. But because you were stressed, because you were worried, all of a sudden, it's all that you could see. That's what happens in anxiety. That's what happens when you're, you're worried. It begins to be the lens that you see the world. It becomes the filter that you begin to see everything through because you're so focused on what you're worried about. All of a sudden you find other things to worry about because you always find what you're looking for. And so if you're looking for a reason to be anxious, you're gonna find a reason to be anxious. If you're looking for a reason to complain, you're gonna find a reason to complain. If you're looking for a reason to worry, you're gonna find a reason to worry. But if you're looking for a reason to worship, I'm gonna tell you there is a reason for you to worship. If you're looking for, for joy, you can find joy. If you're looking for hope, you can find hope. If you're looking for healing, then you can find healing. If you're looking for blessings, you will find God's blessings. And if you're looking for a reason to worship, then you will see the reasons all around you that you can worship God even while you are experiencing anxiety and worry. So if you, like me, like Mary, Christmas is a hard season for you. Can, you, can we just be honest in church? Raise your hand. Christmas is a hard season. It's a hard season. Look around the room. You're not alone. I know sometimes you feel like you are, but you're not. And if you, like me, like Mary, need a reason to worship, then raise your hand. I would like to worship God this year. I would like a little less worry and a lot more worship in my life. Well, if that's the case, then I'm glad you came to church today. Welcome. I'm gonna give you five reasons to worship rather than worry this Christmas. Let's look at it from Mary's perspective. Here's what she does first. She focuses on God's peace. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked at the humble estate of his servant for behold, now all generations will call me Blessed. How many of you know the, the Bible verse that says, God will not give you more than you can handle? Anybody know that? It's found in 2 Colonoscopy 3.16, <laughs> which is not as good as the first colonoscopy, by the way. Um, sorry. Uh, it's funny because it's not in the Bible, but people well-intended, they'll say that, like, God won't give you more than you can handle. And then I want to quote another verse to him that says, let me show you the right hand of the fellowship, right? Because it doesn't actually help and it's not in the Bible because here's what I found is that oftentimes I will find myself in situations that are just too much for me. What do you do? You recognize that it's not too much for God. In the middle of the, the pain, what do we, we gotta do? We gotta look for God's peace. What does she say? My soul will magnify the Lord. In the middle of the pain, you gotta look for God. Where's God at in the midst of this? Where's God at in the middle of this? What is God doing in the middle of my, my pain? Because when you find God, that's when you begin to focus on the peace that God gives. As Christians, here's what we, we typically want. We give our lives to Jesus and we're like, I gave my life to Jesus. And then when I die, I go to heaven. And then in the middle, what happens? Well, that's where you live your life. And in this life, you will have troubles. And as Christians, oftentimes what we want is we pray and we say, oh God, take away all the problems. 
Sometimes he does, but sometimes he don't. Sometimes we say, oh God, I want you to bring me around the valley of the shadow of death. It's not what it says. I will bring you through it. In the middle of the storm, when it's raging all around us, we say, God, remove the storm. But remember, sometimes Jesus calms the storm and sometimes he asks you to walk on water. He doesn't always bring around it, but he will always get us through it. And so as believers, when the panic rises, we can't live by fear, but rather we need to live by faith. Psychologists say that there's three responses that people have when they're in a state of fear. It's either fight, flight, or freeze. Some people, they go into fight mode. I'm tough. Some people, they go into flight mode. I'm not tough. I'm running away. Some people, they go into to freeze mode. If I just stay here, then maybe everything's going to be okay. But as, as Christians, we're not told to fight, flight, or freeze. We're told that we are to live by faith. We live by faith that God is my savior. I'm going to rejoice not in my circumstances. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. My soul will magnify the Lord. I will not live by fear, but rather I will live by faith because here's what happens. Fear says, what if, but faith says, even if. Fear says, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if this goes wrong? And what if nothing ever changes? And what if it's always going to be this way? And what if my world falls apart? And faith says, even if nothing changes, I'm still going to trust God. Even if my world falls apart, I know he's the one who holds me together. Faith says, even if nothing changes, I know that my God never does. I will not live by fear. I will live by faith. And when you find the faith, you focus on peace. Emmanuel, God with us. God's peace. Number two, focus on God's power. Look what she says. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. I want you to think for just a moment about how big God is. How big is God, what's the, what's the biggest thing you can imagine? For Esther, her dream is a bicycle this Christmas. That's the biggest thing, the most expensive thing she could imagine this year. Praise God, she's only seven, because some of y'all got teenagers, and they got some big, expensive wish lists this year, right? For her, it's her house or a car. Think about a, a mountain, a, the planet. Think about the universe. How is the biggest thing you can imagine? Here's what Mary says. My God is bigger and my God is holy, which means other, separate, means beyond. God is bigger than anything you can imagine and God is beyond anything that you can imagine. That's how powerful God is. Now, I want you to think about your problems. What is it that keeps you awake at night? Tossing and turning. What is it that you are worried about? Is it sickness? Our God is a healer. Is it marriage? God invented marriage. Is it finances? God is able to supply and meet our needs. God is more powerful than whatever your problems are. He is bigger, he is greater, he is stronger, he is beyond it. But here's what happens. So many of us, we walk around all the time and what do we do? Instead of focusing on God's power, we focus on our, on our problems. 
Oh, I know you're the creator of the heavens and the earth, but this is just too big for you. I have to go talk to somebody about my problems and I have to complain about my problems and I'm just sitting here talking all about my problems and how big my problems are. But the more you keep talking about your problems, all of a sudden your view of God becomes smaller because your problems are big and now your God is too small. But what if we were able to do it a little bit different? What if instead of talking about how big our problems were, we were to be like Mary and we were to talk about how big our God is, how good our God is, how great our God is, how mighty our God is, that God is bigger and God is beyond. Listen, don't just go around talking about how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is, that your God is great and good and he is always good. And what does it say here? That he's done good things for Somebody else. What does she say? He's done great things for me. For me, think about the miracles you've already experienced, walked through, witnessed, the blessings you've already received. Has he not been good to you already? Then why would he not be good to you in the future? God is powerful. Number, number three, God is personal. Look what she, look what she said. Number, number three, focus on God's presence. Here's what it says. And in his mercy, those who fear him from generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. And he's brought down the mighty with their thrones and exalted the humble estate. Here we see that she is yet again repeating how powerful God is. He's brought down the mighty with his strong arm. He's scattered the proud. He's taken down their thrones. He's exalted those in humble estate. It reminds me of the verse in the book of James where it says that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. What is pride? Thinking that you can do it all on your own. Thinking that you don't need God. Thinking that you can be your own God. You don't need God's help because you can do it yourself. And, and what happens when we, when we live our lives like that? The Bible says that God is actually distant. But what happens if you're just honest about your weakness? What happens if you just admit that you're hurting? What happens when you just get real for a moment? What, are you, what, what happens, in, what does God do in that moment? It says that he draws near to you, that he comes close, that he gives you grace. Because our God is, is powerful, but our God is also personal. See, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion because their gods are powerful, but they're not personal. They're somewhere out in somewhere. And if you want to catch their attention, you got to do a lot of really good things and you don't need to do the bad things. And if you work hard enough and try hard enough, then maybe, then maybe God will pay attention to you, but you got to get his attention and through it's through what you do. What is that? That's, that's pride thinking that you can earn your salvation through your good works and through your good deeds. And then some of us in the room, you're agnostic or atheist or, you know, new age, and you think, oh, there is no God. I am my own God, which is pride in itself. And you think that through good works, good deeds, you can earn your salvation with God. But the Bible actually says, no, he tears down the mighty and the strong. He opposes the proud, but those who are honest and admit their weakness, their brokenness, God exalts them and he draws near to them. And he 
gives them grace. God is powerful, but God is personal. How personal is our God? That we don't make our way to God, God makes his way to us. That's the message of Christmas, that God doesn't just shout his love from heaven, but he shows his love on earth. That he gets off his throne and he's born in a manger, not to a queen, but to a teenage girl. He grows up in obscurity and poverty in the middle of nowhere. And when he finally does enter into ministry, all of a sudden we recognize that his adoptive father, Joseph's, never been mentioned outside of the birth narrative, which most likely like you, who've lost a parent this year, Jesus knows what that's like to lose a parent. His friend Lazarus dies. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. For those of you who have grieved the loss of a loved one this year, Jesus understands. For those of you who are financially strained, it says the foxes had their dens and the birds had their nests, but the Son of Man had no place to lay, lay his head. Jesus knows what that's like. For those of you who are anxious, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus gets down and he prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. And he begins to sweat drops of blood because he's under so much anxiety. Jesus, he understands. There's a quote from the great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, that says, a God who never cried could never wipe away my tears. Yes, God is powerful, but he's personal. How personal is God? That he goes to the cross where he trades his life for ours. He dies in your place, taking upon him your sins so that through him, you can be forgiven and have eternal life with him, both now and forevermore. How powerful is our God? The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that now lives in us. He's powerful enough to overcome the grave. He's personal enough to have a relationship with you. God is powerful, but never forget, he's personal. He loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. He came for you. What does she say? He has done good things for me. Yes, God is powerful, but never forget the personal relationship that God has with you. What is God? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In your pain, focus on God's presence. Number four, God's provision. Y'all hanging with me still? Is that a yes? yes? For he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty-handed. Now at this point, I think it's important for us to point out something, that, that Christians are really good at lying. Okay, so let me explain, because some of y'all probably did it this morning already. Somebody asked you when you walked in, how are you doing? And you said, blessed and highly favored. I'm the head, not the tail, the first, not the last. I'm doing better than I deserve, all you Dave Ramsey fans. 
when instead of being blessed and highly favored, what you should have said is, I am stressed and highly freaking out. <laughs> but as Christians, we do a good job of wearing our Sunday masks, right? We walk into the church feeling like everything's all good and hunky-dory to God be the glory. <laughs> when on the inside, we're struggling. Because I think somewhere along the lines, we, we've been taught that anxiety is a sin. I mean, we've been quoted the verse, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication. Rejoice in the Lord. Or, 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 or uh, you know, blessed is the one who suffers, right? We hear all these verses and we're like, okay, yeah, great. But then we, it doesn't really apply because it, 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 it almost feels as if we're not allowed to have these emotions. And so we stuff them down and we bury them. We don't process them right and we don't deal with them because we've been told that anxiety is sin. I think of anxiety as an emotion a lot like anger. It can lead to sin, but in of itself, it's not sin. Anger, the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Anger can lead to sin, but it can also lead to good things. The woman who created Mothers Against Drunk Driving, she lost a son. And in her anger, she created something that saved many lives. So in our anxiety, we have a choice. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to allow it to lead us to sin? Or are we going to allow it to let us know it's time to get some help? See, anxiety is not a, a sin. I would say anxiety is a sign. It's a sign that inside something's not right. Inside, something's going wrong. Inside, I need help. Anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is a, is a sign. So let me give you an illustration to help you understand. I know absolutely nothing about cars, okay? Only thing I know how to do to fix my car is if the gas light comes on, I know I got 30 miles <laughs> until I'm broke down on the side of the road. Anybody like me? Right, Ashley, if it's half full, then she just pulls over and she, she gets gas because I live by faith, right? <laughs> but the other day I was driving down the road and all of a sudden, every single emoji on the dashboard came on. Bing, 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 bing. Felt like I was getting texted by a teenage girl, right? Just bing, bing, bing. All the emojis were flashing. I was like, I don't know what to do. And so I pulled over and I needed to get, get help. Now, if I would have tried to like fix it on my own, I probably would have made matters worse. And so what I did is I brought it to a mechanic and the mechanic was able to take care of it and to, to fix the problems because I saw the sign. And so what did I do? I went to somebody who can help. What we know is this, is that God is our provider. God is the one who can meet all of our needs God is the one who sustains us, who gives us strength, who gives us comfort, who gives us help, gives us need. God is our provider. And so instead of continuing to, to run on empty, to run on fumes while all of the flashing lights are blinking and the signs are telling you, slow down. Instead of pushing past that, go to God and let God be the one who brings provision to your life. She says, God has done good things for me, that he has filled the hungry with good things. And the proud he has sent away empty-handed. The rich he sent away empty-handed. 
She goes back to talking about pride because what happens if you ignore the warning signs? You blow up. And some of us, we've been running so long, ignoring the signs, you're breaking down because you're trying to be your own provider rather than trusting in God and letting him provide for you. Listen, I, I, I'm, I'm not a mental health expert. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not opposed to those things. I'm a pastor. And I believe that a, a doctor can treat the body. I believe that a, a, a therapist can treat the mind. But I believe only God can bring healing to a person's soul. God is your provider. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to heal you. Trust in God as your provider, which leads to our fifth point. It's to focus on God's promises. What do we do when we're feeling anxious? We, we, we recognize that we always find what we're looking for. And if we're looking for a reason to worry, we'll find it. If we're looking for a reason to worship, we'll find that. And so in our pain, in our anxiety, what do we do? We, we, we don't focus on our problems, but rather we focus on God's peace. We don't focus on our problems, we focus on God's power. We don't focus on our problems, what do we do? We focus on God's presence. We focus on, on God's provision. And that leads us to focusing on God's promises. Look what she says here. She says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, Abraham and his offspring forever. Now we need to remember who Mary was. She was an unwed single teenage girl from Nazareth, nowhere. Most likely she was uneducated, poor and rural. And yet in this section, she quotes by memory and weaves them together in a song. 14 Bible verses from the Old Testament. It's a girl in Redemption Youth right now. That's why Redemption Youth is so important for us to get God's word in the hearts of our next gen. And so she responds by quoting scripture. And she responds by praying and reminding herself of God's promise. Here's what she does. She quotes six Psalms and 14 different verses from Genesis to the book of Malachi. She quotes Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy. I can't even spell Deuteronomy, let alone quote it. First and second Samuel, Zephaniah, which is actually in the Bible, unlike the book of colonoscopy, and Malachi. Why would she, why would she do that? Because in a painful circumstance, she has to remember God's character. Who is God? What is, what is God revealed about himself? Who, who, is, who is God? She's not focusing on what God could do or should do or what she wants God to do. No, that's not what she's even focusing on because that's not worship is. We don't worship God because of what he does. We worship God, why? Because of who he is. We worship God because of his character, because of his nature, because of his goodness, not just what he does. And yes, he does good things for me, but even if he did it, I would still worship him because of who he is. Because he is powerful. He is my peace. He is present with me. 
He is my provider and he is a God who always keeps his promises. What does God promise? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I will be with you in the middle of the storm. I will be Emmanuel, God with us. Not because of what he did, but because of who he is. Who is God? You gotta, you gotta find God in the middle of the pain. You gotta do what Mary does. She says, I will magnify the Lord. Where's God at in your Christmas this year? What does Christmas mean when you put God in, in the center? When you begin to trust in God's character rather than the circumstances that is around you, what do you begin to do? When you, when you look for God's character, what happens? You begin to trade your worries for worship. And I know that for some of you in this room, like this is easier said than done. You're like, pastor, I'm with you, but it's hard and it hurts and I need some help. I wanna help you. Remember, I said my goal is to help you trade worship for worries this year. I, I, I wanna help. I'm so glad that you're here today. We have first Wednesday, this Wednesday. If you need prayer, altars will be open. Come to prayer with us. But let me close with an illustration to help you understand. Let's say this is your worries. The little thing, practical thing you can do to help is this week, take a, a box, maybe a Christmas present, maybe a shoe box, whatever it is, just find you a little box and then just write worry on it. And then anytime it comes up, just write it down on a note card and then place it in your, your worry box. And if you, like me, begin to recognize that this box starts getting a little heavy pretty quickly because there's a lot of things that we can worry about. Then you will begin to recognize the reason we worry so much is because our, our worries are too big and our God is too small. What does Mary do? She says, my soul will what? Magnify the Lord. So instead of focusing on our problems, let's focus on how big our God is. And let's change our perspective. Let's magnify the Lord this Christmas and let's have a big God and less worries. Because our God is bigger than our worries. So what do we do with our, our, our worries? Because they're still there. We take our worries and we give them to God. And God is always big enough to handle our worries, our fear, our anxiety. God is big enough to handle your honesty, your brokenness, your prayers. God is big enough for your grief. God is big enough for your pain. God is big enough for your suffering. God is big enough. And when you begin to recognize how big your God is, it becomes a lot easier to worship than it does to worry, amen? But that's good for a Sunday. And man, you hear this sermon today and 
you're like, praise God, hallelujah. And then you go to bed tonight and you wake up tomorrow and all of your problems are still there. It didn't change. My marriage is still struggling, still sick, still hurting. I'm still grieving. So what happens? Well, we immediately take back our problems from God and we hold them to ourselves. And then we begin to worry and worry and worry and we begin to worry again. And we do this as a cycle and that's what anxiety is. It's a cycle over and over again, worrying about things you can't change and things you can't control. So instead of just giving God our, our worries this Christmas, I, I wanna do something different. Because God gave us his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Instead of giving God your worries, try this, try giving God your life. Give him all of you, give him everything. Give him your heart, give him your soul, give him your mind, give him your sin, give him your good days, give him your bad days, give him the mountains, give him the valleys, give him the darkness, give him the light, give him the pain, give him the peace, give him the joy, give everything you can to him because God has given himself to you. And listen, worship is not the songs that we sing. Worship is the life that we live. It's all of us, all of the time, glorifying God, magnifying the Lord, rejoicing in my God, my Savior. Don't just sing it, believe it. And don't just give Him your worries, give Him so much more. Give Him your worship, give Him yourself, Give him your life, give him all of you. I don't know what you're going through, but I know that you don't go through it alone, that he is with you in those moments. And so if you, like me, wanna give God your life and you wanna worship with your song, then stand with me and let's go back in and let's sing about a God who is holy forever and his name will be magnified and he will be glorified in my life. Give God a shout of praise.